Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources. Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. How do we continue to grow as leaders? We'll look at that in our coaching tip of the week. And today we're speaking to retired Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCulloch, who is a nationally recognized keynote speaker and the author of your leadership legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. Both his leadership presentation and his book are based on his 40 plus years of leadership experience, which includes 23 years as a combat arms officer in the United States Army. I hope you enjoy the episode today and remember, something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. How do we continue to grow as leaders? This is something that I'm in constant conversations with with clients and friends because the way that I live my life is from the viewpoint of leadership in the world. That's one of my core values. So I'm always looking at ways that I can be a leader in the world and what that might entail. One of the first things that I offer for you to consider is that we can always look to learn from those around you. So some of my biggest moments in leadership have come from being willing to listen to people around me. So not only my mentors or the people above me, which is what I would consider people in power or people who are older than me, That's always been pretty easy for me to do. And I I think that comes from growing up in New Mexico. There was definitely a sense uh, in my family that elders are respected and should be listened to. So that part was always usually pretty easy for me. What was not so easy was listening to people that are younger than me or have less experience than I do. And in the past 10 years, I've really gotten a lot of value from opening up my ears and really listening to the generations coming up simply because they're creative, they see things that I didn't see, and they're experiencing new things that I didn't experience. So it makes sense to really put down any preconceived notions you have of anyone around you and listen. The second thing I'd offer is do your work. So practice what you preach as a leader. This is a way that I can continue to grow every day, is having my own coach, having my therapist, looking at the practices that I'm taking on looking at reading books or resources that have me open and expand my mind to a new way of leadership that I might not have known. It looks like continuing education as a coach um, or trainings that I'm really interested in that I'm slowly taking over time. So continue to do your work. And the third thing that I'd offer is let go of a right way of doing things. There's been many times in my life where because of my experience, I can easily lean on, well, this worked before. And I offer for you, that's... (sighs) pretty much 
what I'm going to, my self-judgment of that is that that's a lazy approach. Just because it worked before doesn't mean it's going to work again. And if you can let go of a right or wrong way, it opens up so much more room for creation and possibility that you might not have seen before. Thank you so much, Oak, for being here today. I am so excited for everyone to hear your voice, hear your vision, and hear about who you are and your story. So I just can't thank you enough for being here today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I've really been looking forward to it. Same. So I always like to share a little bit about the first time I meet the people that I'm interviewing. And we are recent friends, very recent. My podcast team, John Beethan, uh, the CEO of Imagine Podcasting, put us in contact together. And I'm just so grateful for the introduction. He told me uh, live, he said, Oak is somebody you need to know in the leadership space. And he was spot on because the the moment I met you, you were um, warm, engaging, clear, direct, and really open and willing to just share. So again, just I'm very excited to to be here with you today. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Well, do you want to start with sharing a little bit of your story? I'm thinking in particular, just where you, maybe one of your first leadership lessons that you had. Yeah. So um, I, I've been a leader for over 40 years, one way or another, you know, as a, as a high school student, I was captain of my sports teams and I was student government president and all that kind of stuff. And then 23 years on active duty in the army, I had lots of leadership positions. And then I ran a food bank for a couple of years. And now, at least until next Wednesday, I'm a government service officer. I retire <laughs> after that. Not that I'm counting the days. But, you know, one of the first lessons I learned as a leader, I guess, and, you know, I tell people all the time, look, you can learn things from, even from people that you're leading. It happens a lot. And if it isn't happening, then there's something wrong with your leadership style. So the first day, my brand new second lieutenant and three of us reported to our battalion, but there was only one, one platoon leader spot open. The other two were going to go to a battalion staff job, which nobody wants as a lieutenant. So for whatever reason, I got selected to take the platoon. And the platoon that I was going to take was already out on a uh, out in the field at a live dismounted live fire exercise. So all morning, I got there about noon. All morning, they were rehearsing this live fire exercise that they were going to do in the afternoon. And I got there right about lunchtime. My company commander dropped me off. My platoon sergeant, I still remember him very vividly. Uh, six, he's about six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound Mississippi boy, uh, sergeant first class Pinson. And he grabs me by the shoulder and he says, come on over here, sir. Let's go have an MRE lunch. And we went underneath the tree and we sat down and we're eating lunch. And he said, look, he said, you're the platoon leader. We're going to do things the way you want to do them. He said, but, and I was, I, was 20, I was 24 years old at the time. He said, but I've been in the Army for 23 years. So he'd been in the Army almost <laughs> as long as I'd been alive. He says, if you're messing up, I'm going to tell you. He said, if you still want to do it that way, we'll do it that way. He said, but I'm going to tell you, you know, and I took that to heart and I almost always ran things by him. But one day I'd made a decision and I walk up to him. I said, Sergeant Pinson, this is what we're going to do. And he looks at me and he says, is that really what you want to do? 
I said, well, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Given your answer, would you like me to rephrase? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Maybe we, yeah. I need to rethink that. So I think one of the first lessons I learned was use the people on your team because they have all kinds of skills and knowledge and abilities and talents. And if you don't use them, then you're only using your own skills, knowledge, abilities, and talents. And you don't have all the answers. I don't care if you've been a leader for 30 years. You still don't have all the answers. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I've learned that one time and time again. It really <laughs> Leadership really humbles you. <laughs> I still learn that. I mean, I've been a leader for 40 years. I still learn that there's people who can surprise you. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, have you always wanted to be a leader? Because I noticed we, we just jumped right in, but I'm, I'm wondering about your childhood and how you even became like just listening to your, um, experience in high school and, and moving forward in leadership positions. Has that always been something that's just been natural to you? So I was, I was the oldest of four boys. Um, so it always fell on me to kind of help take care of the other three. And my father really pushed me. Um, not necessarily to be a leader. He never called it that, but he always said, you know, you want to be the best at whatever you do. He, growing up, he had this thing called the 75%. And he used to tell me, son, if you can't do something better than 75% of the people doing it, then you need to do one of two things. You either figure out how to get better at it, or you need to go do something else, because obviously it doesn't matter to you. And so I always lived by that rule, and I passed it on to my kids. and trying to pass it on to my grandkids, and hopefully they are too. But that kind of pushed me into being the leader of a team or an organization that I was on. And, you know, my wife, it's funny because my wife, we're very active in church, and, and somebody walked up to her, and I'm, I'm very active. I do a lot of different things. And somebody walked up to her and said, you know, your husband is in a bunch of whole, whole lot of things and a, and a whole lot of leadership positions. And my wife said, look, he doesn't have to be the leader. He can follow. But if there's a, if there's a vo leadership void, he's going to fill it. <laughs> that's a, the way it is. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was always taught as a kid was somebody always has to step up and be in charge. And I, I tried to pass that on to all the organizations that I had the privilege to lead. And I would always tell them, look, if I'm not here and there has to be a decision made, somebody step up and make a decision. So I, I think that that my father is the one who kind of pushed me in that route to be a leader, I think. I really love that 75% rule. Uh, it reminds me of, you know, a lot of our clients right now are taking DISC assessments or or any kind of assessment that's about like who they are, Myers-Briggs, yeah. Strength Finders. And in a lot of those assessments, it's the same thing, like double down on the things you're really good at, as opposed to spending time trying to up-level things you're not so good at. That doesn't mean don't learn, but it just it, it means like actually use your strengths to the best of your ability. And, and use the strengths of the people on your team to fill in for the things that you're not strong at. I mean, that, that's if you're not doing that, then, then you're wasting a lot of your time. A solo version of leadership instead of community-based and team-based. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, think, I think that that mindset that be the best you can be, and, and and I, you know, one, one day I was, I got a job I didn't like in the army. I, I didn't want it. And I, and I did it. I was a soldier. I did what I was told to do, but I was, I, 
my father called one day and I was whining to him. And he said, look, son, stop whining. He goes, I don't care if the army tells you to go out and sweep the motor pool, go out and be the best motor pool sweeper the army has. You know, and so I think, again, that, that mindset to be the best you can be at whatever it is that you're doing. And, and there's always going to be somebody better. I got it. But mm-hmm. try to be the best you can be at whatever you're doing. And I think life will end up better for you than sitting around complaining about what you got. <laughs> That's beautiful. Talk to me about values and leadership, because I know that the Army has such a very clear value system. Uh, that's something I'm always impressed by when I meet anybody that is uh, from that branch of leadership. And so how do values influence leadership? So I think it, they play a huge part. And I always tell, tell young leaders and any leader I talk to, if I go to a company or whatever, and I'm helping them uh, figure things out. I always say, look, leaders have a couple key roles. Number one, you got to develop the culture in your organization. And culture is values-based. At least it should be. If it's not, then I doubt that it's a very good culture. Um, I said, and then you got to have a vision and a plan. But all three of those kind of tie together. The vision is where you want to go. The plan's how you're going to get there. And the culture is what you are during that journey. What your organization is. So I, number one, I you know somebody asked me a little while ago, what, what's the qualities number the top qualities that a leader has to have and and it goes back to values and i think it's got to be integrity nobody's going to want to follow you if they can't trust you because that's what leadership is about it's about people and people have to trust you so integrity character setting the example for people um you know that that old saying that if you say one thing but do another what you do is going to be believed not what you said is absolutely true you know i think values play a huge part in being the leader that you really want to be and having people want to follow you, not, not follow you because you're the boss, but they actually do want to follow you. And when I ran my ROTC program, my last assignment on active duty, I ran an ROTC program and I had 179 young cadets that I led every day. Mm -hmm. And I told somebody one day, they asked me, they said, so what is it? What's your number one job? as running this program. I said, no, my, my number one job, beyond a doubt, is every day make every one of those young men and women want to be like me. And I think that that's really what a leader, if you can do that, if you can live the standards that you set for the other people, because if you don't meet the standards, they're not going to meet them, I promise. Mm. If you can set high standards and li- live by those standards, then that's half the battle because they'll want to be like you. And the other piece of that is I'm a firm believer men and women want to be led by better men and women than they are. If you don't have good good values, then you're not going to be a better person than they are. It's a beautiful answer. And my ears picked up on, you know, my coaching ears picked up on a couple words that I really love, culture and trust. So I have a couple more questions from from your brilliance and your expertise. What does a leader do when trust is out? So like, what are, what are the, one of the things that you start working with them with when they've lost trust? Yeah. So I, I think if you're the leader and they've lost trust in you, you're in trouble. And, I, and that's a hard one to get back. If you're taking over an organization where trust was lost with the last leader, then you got to start from scratch, building that 
that trust with those people. And I think there's a couple things you can do. Number one, again, you set the example for them. And you really, at that point, you really have to set the example because they're going to, they're already disfranchised Mm -hmm. from the last leader. So you got to show them that you're different and that you've got some values. So I think that's number one. But I think the trust, one of the huge ways to build trust is to get to know the people that you're going to lead. And I know there's this, everybody kind of has this idea that you got to have the leader led relationship and it, you know, you got to have a line between it and you do at some point, but that doesn't mean you can't get to know the people that you're leading. And I think you have to, if you don't, then how do you know what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are when you're empowering them, delegating jobs to them? How do you know which one to give to who, if you don't know them? And there's a couple ways, easy ways to get to know people. Number one, get out of your office. Nobody wants to follow somebody who sits behind a desk all day. Hmm. Get out of your office and get down where the people you're leading are doing their job. Ask them questions there, not in your office. Because I promise you, if you ask somebody a question in your office, you're going to get an entirely different answer than if you ask it where they Because when they come to your office, it's like coming to the principal's office. They, they, <laughs> what did I do wrong? I what understand. am I in trouble? What? So, so it's completely different. And there's a couple good ways to get out of your office and do that. Number one, I tell people every day, if you want to get to know the people in your organization, find one person every day and go out and find them and ask one question of them. Find one new thing out about them every day. One person, one thing every day. And about their personal life, not about work. Mm-hmm. You can ask about work as well if you want, but find out something personal, their spouse's name, their kid's name, what sports do their kids play? What hobbies do they have? Find out something personal because when you start finding personal stuff out, that trust starts to build. And a good way to do that is I had a boss who retired a three-star general, uh, a good mentor of mine. And he used to tell me, Oak, Never, ever, ever turn down a chance to go get your own cup of coffee. He said, two things happen when you do that. Number one, you show everybody in your organization that you're no better than they are. You've got to go get your own cup of coffee just like they do. And number two, if you're lucky, from your office to the coffee pot, there's two or three different ways to get there. And you stop along the way and you ask those personal questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I'm even thinking of... Um ways that we've done that in the hybrid world, you know, or the virtual world. And some of that is like my team will go on walks together, right? Like we'll both go outside and be on the phone, uh, but walking or if they are in town, you know, making sure we get out to a lunch or somewhere that's more of a neutral. Out of of the office. I mean, the the least I got it. Leaders have to spend time in the office. You got there's forms to fill out. There's all that kind of stuff. I got it. But every chance you get, you need to get out of your office. Yeah. Well, and I really love what you said about the strategy behind getting to know people. And I think some leaders hear that and they go, man, that's going to take a lot of time and I don't have that much time to invest in it. And what I really hear you offering is that there's a way to build relationships, not just from strategy, but from actually being in relationship with people and caring at a deeper level than checking a box. Yeah, absolutely. And they'll know. They can check what they will figure it out immediately if you're just checking the box. You're wasting your time. Don't even bother. Yeah. If but you gotta you gotta get to know people and they have to honestly believe that you care about them. Because that's leadership is about people, playing 
simple. It's not about flow charts. It's not about organizational charts. It's not even about bottom line. I got it. If you run a business, you got to make money. I got that. But if you do this right, if the people trust you and they actually want to work for you and you empower them to do the right things and make them better, they're going to make your organization better and you're going to make money. So in the long run, you're going to, it's going to give you what you want, but you do it for the right reasons, not because you're greedy and not because you're selfish, but because you're helping other people and you're getting to know the people in your organization. Well said, really well said. Um, what about this big word culture? So I love the way you were describing it a minute ago. And what I'm curious about is we've been through so many shifts in the last five to six years around the world, around coming out of the pandemic, social injustice, racial injustice, right? And what I'm curious about from your expertise is you have all of this knowledge of leadership from a long time. I love the title of your book, by the way, Your Leadership Legacy. So that's kind of where I'm heading here is from a legacy perspective. What would you say to new leaders or young leaders, given where we're at around culture? Yeah, I think you got to get back to, again, faith is a huge part of me and my leadership and family and everything else. And, and I think it just goes back to the golden rule. And, and I don't care what religion you are. I think every religion in the world has the golden rule. They may say it different, but, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated. And I think if you keep that in mind, that's a good start toward a culture. But you really do, as the leader, you got to figure out what you are willing to accept and not accept behavior-wise and, and those type of things, values-wise, in your organization. And, you know, and, and one of the things that I was taught as a, at a young age is when you take over an organization, in the Army, we call it a command philosophy. You, you lay out, here's where we are. This is where we're going. These are the things I expect from you. These are the things you can expect from me. And here are the no BS, not, not accepting these things. And if you do that, and you, you can call it a leadership philosophy, if, you know, in the civilian world or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But if, if you lay that out to people, now they know the expectations of what you, you expect them to do, how you expect, what standards you expect them to meet culture-wise. And, and then we're all on the same sheet of music. And it, that makes it a little bit easier. They don't have to guess. They don't have to you know, try to decide if that's acceptable or not. You've kind of laid it out. And I think the other piece of that is that as the leader, you got to have an open door policy. That'll, so if somebody does have a question about whether or not that's acceptable or not, then they got, you got to be willing to let them come in and ask the questions. Uh, because if you ever stop uh, letting people ask questions, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Starting the gatekeeping. Yeah. That's what I hear. And, yeah. and also thanks for the the shout out to transparency. Cause that's really what I hear is that there's transparency oh, it it in, in uh, boundaries and expectations as a healthy mode of relationship building, as opposed to keeping people out. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, general Colin Powell once said, um, still the most impressive man I've ever met in real life. He used to say, if your people ever stop bringing you their problems, you're no longer the leader. Because that's, that's part of being the leader is helping them solve their problems. Not taking their problems onto yourself. That doesn't help anybody. But helping them solve their own problems. That's part of a leader's job. And you can't do that if you're not transparent. 
if you don't, if you're not open to, to listening and, and actually care about the people that you, you have the privilege to lead. Mm, that's such a brilliant, a brilliant post-it note. I'm going to put that up on my wall <laughs> to remember. All right. Well, so tell me about this book, your leadership legacy. You wrote a book. So how did you come by this book and what inspired you? Yeah, that's funny because I've always wanted to write that book, uh, since, you know, probably for 20 years and I just never got around to it. So one day my wife and I and her mom and two people who live in our condo, we went to this motivational speaker in our Catholic church. And it was kind of a slash motivational speaking slash how do we revitalize the Catholic church um, talk. And it was three mm-hmm. hours long. Now, obviously, the guy didn't talk for three hours. He talked for 35, 40 minutes. And then we took a break and then he talked for 35, 40 minutes. So he did that three times. And every time, and he was a great speaker. And every time he spoke, after he spoke during the break, I'd immediately go up and I'd ask him pick his brain. I'd ask him some questions because he was doing what I wanted to do, get out and speak and talk to people. And so I'd pick his brain and he'd give me, he gave me some great advice and everything. So at the la- end of the last one, he t- we were talking and he gave me some advice and then he t- turned around and he was walking away and then he stopped and he turned around and said, Oh, have you written a book? And I said, you know, Jonathan, I haven't, I'm thinking about it. And he said, stop thinking about it and write it. <laughs> And so I went home that night, wrote out the table of contents, started writing the next morning. So that was the 15th of February, 16th of February. I started to write it and I published, that was 2020 and I published it on 12 February, 2021. Wow. So all I needed was somebody to give me permission, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, when I wrote the book, I really thought I was, mindset was I'm writing it for young leaders. And I think I did that. And if you read the reviews, I think most people would tell you that's what I did. But but I've also had lots of old leaders like me. I had a two-star Marine Corps general who read it. And he sent me a message. I I mean, just out on LinkedIn, out of the blue, he sent me a message. And he said, you know, oh, I didn't learn a whole lot of new things out of your book. He said, I learned a few ne- new techniques that I can use. He said, but what I took out of your book was, as I was reading along, I'd read something. And I'd say to myself, you know, I used to do that really well, mm-hmm. and I don't do that so well anymore. Maybe I need to dedicate some time and effort to get back to doing that well. That's really cool. As, yeah. as just a reminder and a re- resharpening of tools, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we all need that little nudge every once in a while because, again, I don't know, I don't care how long you've been a leader, sometimes you just kind of forget things or, or, or they just don't seem important anymore. The things that help make you be successful as a leader, and they are those little things. Little things are very one hundred percent. I think they make all the difference when you when you can be a master of your craft. You know, in singing and coaching, we talk about that a lot. The craft yeah. of of leadership. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, if 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 you're not, then why do people want to lead, follow you? If if you, you're not trying to be the best leader you can be. I, I, I believe that. So what do you hope for people that read this book? What's your, yeah, your grand desire? Yeah. So the, the book is, I don't mention the word theory at all in this book. I, I don't, you know, I know leadership theory. I've, the army taught it to me. It's important. 
you should know it if you're going to be a leader, but that's not what makes you a good leader. What makes you a good leader is the everyday things that you do. So this book talks about certain principles of leadership that I think every leader needs to have. And then it uses personal examples of, okay, communication. Here's a good example of how to communicate written communication, handwritten notes, you know, whatever. Everyday things that every leader can do to improve their leadership ability. And I, I, I've had people tell me that, you know, they keep a copy of, of the book on their desk. And every once in a while, when something comes up, they'll turn to that chapter and say, okay, well, what did Oak do? And what, what is he saying is a good way to handle this? So kind of like a workbook. And I, I would like for that to be that it is something that you re- revisit. It isn't something you just read one time, but you revisit it whenever you get uh, a ch- whenever you are challenged or you get a new leadership position. Beautiful. I'm looking forward to reading it and having it as an almanac on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you mentioned that you're a keynote speaker as well, so I'd love to spend a little bit of time asking you about that. What do you What do you love about speaking to people? So I I love the interaction, you know, and and I always tell people I've been a teacher in the army many times uh, in a in a classroom, and you know that old saying you you can see the light bulb go off in somebody's head when when they finally get something, and it's true you can you can actually see when somebody finally gets a concept or an idea. And it, I really love that when I'm talking to an audience, I'll say something and you can just see the look on people's faces. Some of the people, they resonate with that. Some people resonate with something else. And I've actually had people walk up to me afterwards and say, you know, and it's amazing how they'll come up and they'll talk about different things. The thing that resonated with them, that's what they want to talk about afterwards. And uh, and so I love doing that. And, you know, I I love going the day before. I'm not one of those guys. I don't, I don't like to show up 15 minutes before the presentation and talk and then leave. I actually want to interact with the people that I'm talking to. I like to come the night before so that I can go to a social, go to a dinner, whatever it is that's going on. And I've actually changed my presentation hmm. for the next morning based on the things that these people were complaining about, talking about, said were the a key point that they needed to fix in their organization. So I, I, I try to tailor it to that organization as much as I can. I love that. It's, it speaks to relationship all around and how you're continuing to develop relationships and service servant leadership. That's a word you and I talked about when we first met, regardless of where you are. You know, I, I got to give my wife credit. She's taught me a lot of the, the personal relationship stuff. Um, how important that is. And I'll just give you an example. You know, my wife was a army nurse for eight years. So we were both in the army. So we're not late for anything. Okay. (laughs) We're usually that, that couple that's 20, 25 minutes early, um, which drives people crazy as well. But I realized one day we were leaving like even five minutes earlier than we normally would. And I said, what are we doing? And she said, well, you know, we might run into somebody out in the hallway or in the elevator or in the lobby or in the garage that just needs to talk to us today, mm-hmm. just needs to talk to somebody. And we need to be able to just stop and give them our attention for four or five minutes. And, 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 it, and it's actually happened. I, I mean, a couple of times we've been going somewhere and somebody, you could just tell somebody just needed to talk. 
And so we just stopped and listened to them. And so, you know, it, to me, the whole reason we're on this earth is help, help other people, make, make it a better place. If that's not why we're here, then why are we here? I mean, I, I just believe that. Ah, that's such a beautiful uh, note to end on, actually, <laughs> is we're all here to help each other. So, we are. Yeah. Thanks for living your purpose. And thank you for being uh, an advocate for that type of leadership in the world. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh my goodness. It's been a tremendous joy and we will make sure everybody knows exactly where to get your book and to find you. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. 